we've, uh, we've started the last few uh, sermons uh, last week and the week before, and it seems, you know, you could probably say, John, it's been pretty doom and gloom, like chapters one and two, they've, they've really kind of been hard to hear. I remember someone saying to me last week that last week's sermon was a, was a bit spicy at the very beginning, you know, kind of uh, not G-rated. Um, thank goodness the children were uh, away. I don't try to do it on purpose, but one thing I, I am very sure is that a lot of people did come to me and said, thank you for being so contextually on point. Now it all makes sense. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, our podcast is on Spotify, so enjoy it later. But I will give you this free recap. Jews meet and face and encounter like the the embodiment of the, of the Trinity through the work of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. They have that moment where they have tongues of fire, but when they're, when they're done in Jerusalem, they end up going back to the city of Rome to plant a church. After a while, Jews and then Gentiles start to fill and grow this fledgling church in one of the biggest cities in the known world, Rome. Jewish character of Christianity in Rome would be then threatened in AD 49 by Emperor Claudius. An embroiled argument, a polarizing decision were settled by the emperor to cast out all the Jews from the city. Over a, they were squabbling over a theological claim that Jesus was the Christ. Claudius exiles all the Jewish Christians, all the Jews out of the city. And so for years, this Gentile now congregation is still continuing on with the work of the church. Later, about three, four years later, the Jews end up returning back into Rome. These, these founding pastors return to, quote, their church, and it has now been drastically changed. The, the seats are now black. They've painted the stage black. They're now serving coffee. They're, they've got flags in. in the, everything just seems like, oh, this wasn't what it was before. You've, you've changed everything. Don't you know that we started this church? See, I think it's very important to understand that this merge hurt people. These Jewish Christians said, look, we were in Acts 2. We were, we were there when we first got the tongues of fire, and we started this church. It's not our fault that Claudius kicked us out. But they come back. Oh, there I am. Welcome back. And they come back, and they, everything has changed. They don't like it. And there's a schism. There's a fraction. There's a, there's a pulling between these Jewish Christians that had started the, the church. We built this church from the, from the ground up, brick by brick. And the Gentiles were like, thank you, but we, we didn't know what to do. You guys all got exiled by the, the emperor. We had to continue doing the life of the church. I think sometimes we forget about that there was a church split in Rome. It wasn't because Christians were fighting each other. It's because an emperor didn't like a certain kind of people. 
got rid of half of the church. But you understand that Paul is being very careful and he's being, being very concise with the wording that he uses to try to bring in the Jews and the Gentiles. So as you see, like Crystal had mentioned in her uh, talk on biblical theology, this ribbon that you see, see the ribbon of redemption and unity as Paul tries to cinch it, oh, sorry, bud, cinch it tight, bring the Jews and the Gentiles together all, all the time. So when you see that, now you'll understand, oh, so Romans 3 makes sense now. So on that, let's open your Bibles. Remember, you guys have your Bibles? Put your, let's do sword drill. You got to push it up. Oh, love it. By the end of the year, everyone will have their sword up in the air. If you don't have a sword, feel free to come talk to me. We got you covered. So Romans 3. And we're going to start off in verse 9 today. And Paul starts it off with a question. What then? Are Jews any better off? No, not at all. Immediately, the, the very thing that we were just talking about, this, this dichotomy, this schism, this fraction, this chasm between Jews and Gentiles, immediately, Paul says, you know what? Are, the, are we Jews? And he notices he puts himself into that group. Are we any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, or Gentiles in this case, are under what? Sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, not, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Who? The Jews that have left? Just the Gentiles? No. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is, a, is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. They're the venom of asps, which is um, for New Zealanders that don't have snakes. An asp is a very deadly snake. It's under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19. For we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Verse 21. But the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, Jew or Greek. For what? You all know this scripture. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood. Don't worry, we'll talk about that in a second. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Last verse. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Look all the way back to verse 9 for a second. Paul asks this question, who then? This, this Jew or better off? It's a, a Jew and Gentile? No, not at all, he says. All are charged. Both Jews, Greeks, Gentiles are under sin. The Greek word there is hupo hamartian. Hupo literally means in the power of or under the authority of. Do you remember the centurion, Andrew? You know this. Centurion Matthew 8. He goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, can you heal my servant? And he goes, yeah, sure, let's go. He goes, no, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? He's like, just say the word and my servant is healed. He goes, listen, he goes, I'm a centurion, a Roman military officer. I have soldiers un under me, hupo, under my authority. So just, you don't need to come. Dude, Jesus, you have that same authority. Just speak the word and say, my servant is healed, and I will believe in faith that he is healed. And what did Jesus say? Greater faith in this centurion, oh, mate, than some of the huge Jewish people. Hupo himautian is the, is the Greek for this centurion. The schoolboy was Hupo pedagogon, under the direction, under the authority of a teacher. Patagogon is the same Star Wars reference of Padawan. So it's not, I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan, but you're like, Padawan, Jedi Master, where do you think they got it? The Bible. That's a freebie. The slave is Hupo Zugon, under the yoke of the master. The man has no relationship with God. Is under the control of sin and is helpless. Is he is powerless to escape from it. Here, the apostle Paul charges the whole church that it's not about who stands out first. Look, I know you started the church. I know you 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 had a beautiful um, array of things and and it was very Jewish and 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 how it looked and and you thought this would be a great thing. But then I, it's not anyone's fault that Claudius kicked everyone out. It's not about who gets first and who gets last. He's saying actually which, or which group is elite. He equalizes the whole group by reminding them that they are both under sin. Oh, you feel it? Just like, it's just like getting sucker punched. You're like, oh, you know, Paul, you're right. I don't like it that you're right. It's like I've been holding this offense about it's been my church. Is it your church? Because you're under sin. Hupo Hamartian. 
So if actually, if anything, it's not your church, it's his church. Verse 12, join with me. He says, all have turned aside together till they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This, it was interesting, when we had Mother's Day here, we called it a string of pearls, these beautiful women that came up to, to share great wisdom. But actually, that is called the haraz. Rabbis would use it to teach people. The haraz was literally string of pearls. Rabbis would use this by using and, and, and exhorting these Old Testament texts like we see here. Psalm 14, it'll be on your screens. Psalm 14, verse 1 to 3, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become what? Corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. That's the source code. This is, this is what Paul is using as a Jew himself. He's like, the way I'm going to get everyone to understand me is I'm going to use the haraz. I'm going to use a string of pearls. These pearls of great wisdom. Let them be the ones that win this argument, not me. But he uses this powerful word. In our English Standard Version, he says the word is called worthless. Now Paul uses another connection to our human nature. The word in Greek is ashreo, which literally means rendered down as useless. It's the same word that we use, and I was going to bring it here and have all you guys smell it, but it's when you have sour milk. That's the same word. It's, this, it's useless, isn't it? Like, I know some of you are like, but John, you can make sourdough. And I'm like, okay, oh, hold on, okay. But at the end of the day, when you've put sour milk into your coffee and all the things start to bubble up to the top, I am not drinking that coffee. It is worthless. It is useless. Our human nature under sin is this useless, worthless sourness without Christ. This is what the, the Apostle Paul is trying to get at. If it's just you and what you're trying to do in the church, your human nature is usefulness, worthlessness, sour milkness. Apart or without Christ and his redeeming, life-saving power to forgive and to heal us. Amen? Standing at a fireside pit in 1995 at a Christian youth camp, I'd stayed at this wooden cabin out in the forest with a friend of mine, the friend that would lead me to Christ, his name is Ron Woods, smoking one of my last cigarettes, thinking deeply on these same similar scriptures that we were unpacking today. See, I was a different John back then. The B.C., not the A.D. version. Before Christ and after Christ. 
See, I was a John that was only looking out for me, myself and I. Curtis Vaughan, in his commentary, he talks about these chaza, uh, the string of pearls, into three parts. That Psalms 14, he says, it breaks down to character, conduct, and tongue. See, the character of, the, of this string of pearls is one that was ignorant, indifferent. In other words, they were lacking care or apathy. Crookedness and unprofitableness. And this is who I was before I met Jesus. I was at a point where not only did I not care about you, but I didn't care about myself. I was a, um, a cooler. Some of you guys know I've told you this story. But I was the guy that would be sent in before the bouncers came in at the bar. Because the bouncers didn't, if they had to kick someone out of the bar, it was a loss of revenue. So they would send me. And I would be the first point of contact. And I would come in to cool down the situation. So I would come in and say, hey, Gary, like, we just love that you're here tonight and you're getting a little hot under the, color, the, under the collar tonight. You know, I think you need just to simmer down. How about a, we buy you a cup of coffee? And that's when I would usually get the first push. You got to tell me what to do. And he pushed me away. Then the bouncers would come and remove the guy. But I got, got to a point where I didn't care for myself that if the guy ended up pushing me or stabbing me, that was just, that's just, just what's going to happen. I had indifference. I had a crookedness to myself. I would lie and cheat and steal and do horrible things. The tongue it was destructive and deceitful and malignant. The horrible lies and hurtful things that I, John, your senior pastor, would say to people for my own personal gain. To save my skin. And my conduct was oppressive injuriousness and implacability. In other words, I was just stubborn as a mule. Because it was really, it came down to, it was all about me. Um, I willed my own life. I was, regardless of other people, friends, and family that I would not hurt, or better, I would roll my truck over to get what I wanted, when I wanted, with whom I wanted with. And some of you are sitting here going, oh my gosh, that is not who I see in the stage. It's because of Dr. Phil. Right? Dr. Phil and Oprah, they did, they, they did all the work, right? No! Guys, wake up! Like, it's because of Jesus Christ. Because of his indwelling, indwelling Holy Spirit working on me and, and, and just disciplining me, kicking me to the curb and saying, stop doing this, this is not God's heart for you. This therapeutic moralistic deism that's prevalent in today is it only works in part but it is not lasting only the work of the and the power of the holy spirit can this kind of work be done and it is lasting and my wife can attest after 20 almost 24 years of marriage i have not strayed away not because oh john has lots of willpower no 
is because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So how do we come this morning? The Apostle Paul is again equalizing the whole church and not using this haraz as a weapon, but as a ruler, as a measuring stick, asking for us to look into ourselves as I did, sitting at that fire pit, taking stock and inventory of my life, surrounded by loving Christian people that ask me a question. Now that you know all of this, what are you going to do about it? It wasn't shameful. He didn't dump shame on me and said, now, now you got to turn or burn or make a decision. No, no, no. They said, now you're accountable to the love of God, his plan for your life. What are you going to do about it? Verse 19 to 26 sheds light into three key movements we need to understand if we were to get right with God. The first one is, and we've mentioned this in our first sermon, justification. This concept, this concept is a legal one. Many Romans knew about democracy and the law, not just the Jews because of their religious understanding and adherence to the legal system of, of the Torah, but also the Greeks knew about the legal system in Rome. Paul uses this equal term to underscore what, how we are made right freely before God. One of my favorite commentators, Martin Lloyd-Jones, unpacks it eloquently, and I've put the quote up here for this morning. Hopefully you could be able to read it. But this is the amazing message, and this is what it is meant by justification, that God tells us that as a result of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, if we believe on him and trust ourselves solely and entirely to him, God pardons and forgives our sins. Not only that, he declares that we are free from guilt. More than that, justification includes this. He not only declares that we are pardoned and forgiven and that we are guiltless, he also declares that we are positively righteous. He imputes to us, that is, he puts to our account the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who was entirely without sin, who never failed his father in any way, who never broke a commandment or transgressed any law. God gives to us, put upon us, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ himself then looks upon us and pronounces that we are righteous in his holy sight. That is the biblical doctrine of justification. The second thing I saw um, in this text was sacrifice. Look at verse 25 in the text. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation literally means that it's averting or, or kind of sidestepping or swerving out of the way of wrath, the wrath of God, by the offering of a gift. It refers to the turning away from the wrath of God as the just judgment of our sins by God's own provision of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
See, this wasn't just a Jewish act that would go all the way back to the times of the Torah, but for the Gentiles, they would have made offerings to all their pantheon of gods. They would sin, they'd do evil in God's eyes, and they would bring a sacrifice to the temple. They would kill that sacrifice and burn it. And that, in that small moment, would be atonement or propitiation, this gift, the gift of salvation. You know, we've been staring at this Whitaker's chocolate, taunting you, creamy milk chocolate. Who loves Whitaker's chocolate? Preach. Let me ask you a question, Phil. Do you, do you deserve this chocolate bar? No, you don't. <laughs> just, just head you off in the past there. This chocolate is, is amazing. It's probably the best chocolate, and we've eaten a lot of chocolate in the world, from the world. It's probably the best chocolate in the world. Better in the, be, the best in the Philippines, right? Sorry. Probably the best chocolate in Japan, Whitaker's. Of course. See, I think there's, a, there's something here that would draw me to come, and, and, and I, I want that chocolate. So it's a free gift. Paul is saying this propitiation, the redemption of sins, is this free gift. It swerves you away from sin, takes it away by this free gift. So who here would like to have this free chocolate bar? Who wants it? Who wants it? Look, are you sewn to the chair? Who wants it? There you go. Now, the reason why we do this is for a second there, you're like, I want it, but you're somehow magically cemented to your chair. This is why kids' ministry and youth ministry is awesome. Because when I did the same thing with my teens, I had a, a gang of ch- kids climbing over each other to try to get it. There's no inhibition. There's no, there's no uh, need to sit prim and proper and, you know, all the, like, they're like, did you just say there's free food? Get out of the way. <laughs> but there's this something that some of you held back going, well, he should have it because he spoke. He did good works today, right? Yeah. Don't, isn't that the craziness of how we think? He did a good job. His works are, are deserving of, of gift. But then there's another person, like Josh, he's like, he had a horrible night. He was angry, he's frustrated, he's, he was sinning all night long, and he's in shame. It's just this cloud of darkness all over him. I'm sorry, man, I'm picking on you. <laughs> I know you can take it. But in his sin and his shame, he's, he's not even putting up his hand going, I, 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 don't, I don't deserve that. Isn't that what we do? We go, I don't deserve that chocolate bar. I haven't done any good things. I have, like, I barely service-led. Well, you know, like, I told a couple good jokes. But we do this. We self-deprecate ourselves. We throw ourselves, we dig a hole, and we lie in it and die. (laughs) You didn't deserve this. 
It doesn't matter if you did the, the Billy Graham of all communion messages. Or you could have bombed it. Guess what? His righteousness is through justification. Has said, look, it's not about works. It's not about anything that you've done. Because I stink and love you. And I'll use my French Canadian there. Stinking. I stink and love you. Not just I love you because that's written in the book. But it's like his love is lavished upon you. He loves to give good gifts to his children. But we sit there going, well, maybe not me because I had a really rough night. That's horse dung. (laughs) It is. It's just garbage. You are a child of God. There is no division between Jews or Greeks or, or whoever, like old, young, infirm, dis- disabil- dis- disabled, doesn't matter. You could, should have all gotten that chocolate. And, and some of the older folks, you are the worst at this because you think, well, you know, status and I'm a bit of an elder, komatoa. I'm like, you should be like a child. You should have been running. I'm like, yes, great chocolate, woo! And lastly, we see this in the last one is deliverance. In verse 24, if we'll put that up for a second, and are justified by the grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, this opulatrosis, the ransom that is full. This is a story, maybe you've heard this story before, but I remember it was was in the Los Angeles Court Court County, there was a judge uh, for traffic court. He sat um, up like this, he had his robe on, and he would see dockets of of, uh, people's infringements all day long, and he'd hit his gavel, and you're like, all right, and that's a $250 fine, and, you know, 10 days served, and $250 fine, and you know, good, good. So Docket came up to his, his table and the, the prosecutor says, you know, we've got a docket here, so-and-so, I don't know, Gary Smith or whatever his name is. And he looks and he goes, Gary Smith, he's like, what's the charges? Well, he was uh, caught speeding, 20 over, uh, Your Honor, and he's a repeat offender. This is, um, it's going to be a heavy fine. This, uh, this Gary here, uh, how much is this fine? Oh, Your Honor, we're, we're wanting to prosecute to the fullest extent of the law. We're going to throw the book at Gary, Your Honor. It's a $1,000 fine, plus 30 days in community service. We're going to make him uh, pick garbage on the side of the road. Your Honor, what do you plead? And the judge looks at the docket, sees the guy standing right there. He can't escape a guilty verdict, can he? He can't be just acquitted because he's committed the crime. But then the judge does something that reporters later on wrote about in a newspaper, hence the story, is the judge came down from his seat. So now he was eye level with Gary Smith. And he unzipped his robe and left it on top of his table. 
pulled out, and this is back then, a thing called a checkbook. If you don't know what checks are, talk to your grandparents. He pulls out his checkbook, and he writes out the exact ransom or the exact fine for Gary, which happened to be his son. That story is the exact thing that God the Father did. For, so, for God so loved this world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So God in his infinite, immutable, unchanging, his all-power, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresence everywhere comes down in a ransom and says, you know, Josh, I know you've had a rough night, but I'm going to write a check and pay for it all. Because you're my son. And that sacrifice is not something that we just go to the temple and offer a, a cow or a pigeon or, or a bull or whatever, like how it was in the Old Testament. But it was paid there at the cross of Calvary. When Jesus died and was nailed on the cross and then he rose again, one of the last things that Jesus said before he died was what? It's finished. So this payment, this ransom, when he signed his name with blood, that last dot, that full stop, it's finished. You don't get to determine when you think it's finished, because I've already said it's finished. So he's, there's justification, there's sacrifice, and there's ransom. Now, I was, sh- I was sharing this to someone this morning. I said, this is the gospel, isn't it? We are under sin no one is righteous. I'm going to ask the band to come up for a second, just for the song. We're under sin. No one is righteous. We have fallen short of the glory of God, no matter who you are. And without Jesus, our righteousness is that of sour milk. Worthless. We stand before our judge as criminals because of our sin, and he, because of Jesus, acquits us and sees only his son. He justifies us, not because of anything that we have done. His sacrifice is complete once and for all. We no longer must keep making sacrifices for our sins. He at the cross says, it is finished. And our judge, he pays for it full. We're going to sing a happy song, a joyful song. I want you all stand with me. If you're like, well, John, I don't sing, maybe this is the Sunday you sing. Because there's so much to celebrate. But if you've been hearing this story today and you and you're like, oh mate. If God could save you, John, he could save me, and that's you this morning, then just pray a prayer this morning that that God, come into my life, forgive me of my sin, 
Make me right before you. I want to live for you forever. And when he hears that prayer, you're saved. You were born again. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life that if you were to die today, you will go straight to paradise. But this might be the moment where you become a follower of Jesus for the first time in your life. But we need to sing. We need to bathe this experience in this time of worship.